Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Boll, Director of Public Affairs. We're going to talk with Spencer Tuma today about some developments with the Chinese trade situation, also some personnel changes that have happened recently in Washington, D.C., and an update on the Washington, D.C. trip that Missouri Farm Bureau is going to be taking next week. So let's get started. Spencer Tuma is our Director of National Legislative Programs, and we have a lot on the tap for the next few days in Washington, D.C., as our members are going to be taking a trip out there. We'll talk about that a little bit. But first off, Spencer, uh, let's get into some of the things that are really happening in the national uh, legislative front, because there's quite a bit uh, the, the, of news that's happened since we last spoke. Um, starting off with the trade developments, we've had a lot of news over the past handful of days uh, regarding the situation with China and the negotiations that have been uh, continuing between the U.S. and China. What is uh, the latest that you've been hearing on that? Yeah, so talks continue between the U.S. and China in order to work towards a solution that addresses the problems that we have with China's um, lack of willingness to abide by international trading laws. We saw a couple weeks ago that the Chinese did agree to buy an additional 10 million metric tons worth of U.S. soybeans, uh, which we do think is a step in the right direction. Um, Talks will continue Um, over the next couple of weeks, and hopefully we will have some more clarity over the next few days or so. I did see last night um, on Twitter, uh, a reporter from Ag Day TV reported that uh, for the first time since the tariffs have gone into effect, the Chinese have agreed to purchase some U.S. sorghum. So that Mm -hmm. really is um, a step in the right direction. Yeah, that's for sure. And there there was also some news over the past few days that the uh, World Trade Organization ruled that China's ag subsidies are higher than allowed mm-hmm. and that they're going to have to make some changes to that. So that could end up playing into our favor in these negotiations as well. I think that very well could be true. Um, you know, we did see, I I personally wasn't expecting that decision to come when it did, um, but, you know, we were pleased to see that the U.S. and other WTO partners did prevail. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that impacts the conversation going forward. Yeah, and I actually honestly was not aware of just how dramatically uh, the China Chinese government supports their local, um, their their domestic agriculture industry. Mm-hmm. It's in the to the tune of more than $100 billion a year that they put into it, which is many times more than uh, the United States does. So, yeah, the, the developments there seem like they're moving somewhat in the right direction. The intellectual property issues that we've had real problems with over the past few years and was mm-hmm. a real precipitator of this trade um, dispute right now mm-hmm. seem like th- there hasn't been as much progress as we'd like on the that from what the reports are that are coming out uh, of these negotiations, kind of the um, unnamed sources that are saying what the status of talks are. But uh, they're not done yet, and they continue to um, negotiate fe- feverishly to try to get to a, an, an end pretty soon here. So shouldn't be, uh, hopefully, shouldn't be too much longer before we know something on there. And we are still watching really closely any developments with the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement as well. Uh, our group is going to be out in Washington, D.C. next week, and I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later on this episode. Um, but we really are going to be focusing on the importance of agricultural trade overall to Missouri agriculture specifically, as well as specifically why Canada and Mexico play such an important role in Missouri ag exports. Right, absolutely. And then uh, on the domestic side of things, the uh, we've had a lot of changes in the, the positions that matter the most to mm-hmm. agriculture uh, in in Washington Washington DC just since last week um, the the probably the most impactful of those decisions was 
the EPA administrator, Andrew Wheeler, who uh, was recently in Missouri, did an event that Missouri Farm Bureau helped set up. And uh, what was his biggest uh, big news over the past few days? Well, so it was big news. It's officially official, I guess. So um, (laughs) prior to um, Administrator Wheeler being confirmed, he was serving as acting administrator after the departure of former EP Administrator Scott Pruitt. Um, So he'd been serving as acting administrator for a while, but last week the U.S. Senate did vote to confirm him. And so he is officially the administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, and that'll be going forward through the end of this administration. Yeah, and he succeeds Scott Pruitt, who had a <laughs> an up-and-down tenure during yes. his time. That's at, a very diplomatic way to put it. Thank you. Uh-huh. Uh, he was a little bit more of the um, in-front-of-the-camera kind of guy, mm-hmm. whereas Mr. Wheeler seems to be more of the behind-the-scenes type person who's worked for years uh, in the policy arena um, not as an elected official, really, but as uh, a person working on the behind-the-scenes policy. But he seems to have um, a worldview towards environmental issues that mm-hmm. is fairly well aligned with the things that, that we believe. Yeah, absolutely. And Administrator Wheeler has been in Washington, D.C., working on agricultural policy for a very long time. So he really brings a lot of institutional knowledge to the table when it mm-hmm. comes to you know, how agencies work, how agencies work with members of Congress on Capitol Hill. And that experience is really important. Yeah. And it seems that Administrator Pruitt may have been more of the, the flashier type, um, mm-hmm. the, the show horse, and as some may call him, although he did get a lot moved. And uh, Administrator Wheeler is more of the workhorse type that will be just churning away and may not make the headlines, but will be continuing to do things like the Wars of the United States uh, rule change to the clean water rule that we really support. So absolutely, seems like a good move there to get him confirmed. Um, on the personnel side of things, we also had a, an announcement that was really kind of surprising, came out of the blue, uh, about the FDA mm-hmm. uh, director, administrator there. Uh, what what do we uh, know about what happened with Scott Gottlieb? So earlier this week, uh, and you're right, it did completely come out of the blue. I had not heard any rumors about it. It had not been previously reported. But Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who was serving as um, the administrator for the Food and Drug Administration, uh, did announce his resignation from the agency. So I really am not clear on many of those details. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that I have been able to learn is that The reason that he resigned had really nothing to do with any sort of disagreement over policy or with the administration in particular. Um, But FDA has a pretty large role in agriculture. Some people might not generally think of them as the first first agency you might think of. You typically think of USDA or EPA. Uh, But FDA plays a pretty big role, and um, Administrator Gottlieb was really making some – some big strides in agricultural policy. Yeah, he seemed to be a little more aggressive in his approach towards uh, towards his work as than than some of the previous administrators had been. And he made his biggest uh, waves, I think, with the vaping type of uh, regulations, trying mm-hmm. to restrict who could who could purchase um, those types of products. But in the agricultural world, what really made the biggest impact was his um, involvement with uh, labeling laws and mm-hmm. and meat uh, laws. both he, He's famous, I think, in, in ag circles, most well-known for saying that an almond doesn't lactate. Yes. Um, yes. Which is quite a quote. but uh, Which our members would be generally supportive <laughs> exactly. of. That is a statement that we at Missouri Farm Bureau wholeheartedly agree with. Yes, and of course the background on that is that um, the FDA defines milk as coming from a lactating mammal, and um, somebody was challenging that uh, almond milk should not be called that because almonds don't lactate, and he agreed and uh-huh. made that quote. But uh, 
very well closely aligned with that is the um, the debate that often is called fake meat mm-hmm. and who should be regulating that. Um, that's uh, something that he really dove into as well. And we've also had some announcements on that over the past few days. Right. You know, it's been a, a pretty big week in agricultural policy, and you might not have seen a lot of headlines about it, but a couple of days after Commissioner Gottlieb announced that he was resigning, they also announced that USDA and FDA have come to an agreement on the regula- regulation of lab-grown or cell-cultured meat, and I'm putting meat in quotations because mm-hmm. we don't think it should be called meat, to be quite honest with you. Um the original proposal by USDA and FDA was to split the jurisdiction of that based on where the agencies have previously um, precedent and jurisdiction and mm-hmm. also experience. So while FDA will be responsible for a lot of the um, what I call the technical side of things, USDA will actually be responsible for the labeling of the product, which is what Missouri Farm Bureau members are highly interested in. Yeah, and that's a, a, a resolution of that conflict or at least a proposal proposed resolution that it sounds like most most groups across the board um, thought was a pretty good compromise. So um, hopefully that will actually be able to, to gain some traction mm-hmm. and, and be um, put into practice because it is something that needs to have very clear rules for right. so that we don't uh, get into a continuing argument over this issue. I have to be completely honest with you. When I heard uh, probably six months ago or a year ago that USDA and FDA were going to work together to figure out a way to regulate lab-grown meat. I laughed out loud because (laughs) historically there could be a little bit of a power struggle between those two agencies. Um, And I thought, you know, there is no way this is going to get done, and there's certainly no way it's going to get done in a pretty timely manner. And quite frankly, it it really has, and it's been very surprising, pleasantly surprising, um, and it wasn't an all-out brawl. Absolutely it, not. It actually seems like they worked pretty well together. They, you know, they kind of started from the beginning with a united front, and we're going to do this together. And then when the proposal came out, you know, what we thought FDA might want control over, they had control over, and we thought what USDA might want control over, they had control over, and there were really very little <laughs> issues, which yeah. was. That's Unbelie- the way it ought to work. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. So actually, putting your turf war behind you and right. finding a real solution for the people—that's uh, what they ought to be doing. But exactly. Rarely seems to happen. Yeah. So we'll see how that plays out. Very good. Well, the last thing we wanted to talk about, which we alluded to earlier, is that uh, the Missouri Farm Bureau fly-in to Washington D.C. is going to be happening this coming week, and you, you and Jill Fansler and many others on the team have been working feverishly to make sure everything is in order and the logistics are all taken care of for that. And I know you continue to work with last-minute changes to make sure that everything is is smooth and we have the best program possible. But let's start off by talking a little about how people uh, qualify to get on this trip in case somebody is interested in doing this in the future, because this is something we do every March, every year. And um, if you're interested in being on it in future years, uh, what would you need to do to, to become eligible? Great question. So the first and most obvious way that you would be selected to go on the Washington, D.C. trip is if you served as a member of the Missouri Farm Bureau State Resolutions Committee, which is made up of members of our state board, members of our Young Farmer and Rancher Committee, our Commodity Committee chairman and women, and also a county president from each board district from around the state. The only way you would not be able to go on the trip is if you've been in the last five years. So Farm Bureau pays for everybody to go if you've mm-hmm. served on the committee, uh, but you don't get to double dip. So um, you can't mm-hmm. ser- you can't serve every year and get to go to DC. Yeah, you every can't be year. in a different capacity each right. year. And we want to be coming. we want to be sure that a lot of people have the opportunity to experience the resolutions committee and also learn about the legislative process in Washington. 
Um, so the TRIP attendees are made up of members of the Resolutions Committee, members of the Farm Bureau State Board. Uh, we send two collegiate um, members from each chapter from around the state. The Missouri Farm Bureau Foundation graciously uh, funds their way there and back. And also, if you're a county president within Missouri Farm Bureau, you have the opportunity to go on the legislative trip and experience it for yourself. So some county presidents serve on the resolutions committee, and other county presidents might be new to the county board or a new county president. So we want to give them the opportunity to really see what Farm Bureau is all about. So those are some of the, the ways that you would be eligible to go. Yeah, and then um, the the actual trip itself, what what's involved in it? How long is the, the trip? and uh, what are the general things that, that you do while you're out there? We typically fly out to Washington on a Tuesday, and then we stay through Friday. So it's about four days in D.C., um, and we pack a lot into those four days. Mm-hmm. I know last year was the first time that I hosted the trip, and obviously hosting and attending are a little bit different. But uh, when I got home on Friday night, I slept until 1210 <laughs> on uh, Saturday afternoon, which mm-hmm. is totally not, not like me. Sleeper, I, right. am, I am an early riser for those who know me personally. So... Um, but we do cram a lot into those four days. So we typically kick off on Tuesday evening with kind of a get to know you, get to know DC dinner, um, and then do a tour of the Capitol. And then we hear from speakers on Wednesday and Thursday and visit with our members of Congress. Um, typically, we also attend a visit or a briefing with a U.S. Embassy. This year, Barring any large complications, we are taking uh, the group to visit the White House, which Mm -hmm. um, I have told everybody that we aren't actually going to get to meet the president. I couldn't swing that, uh, but we are going to get to see the White House and see inside it. So we think that'll be a really cool opportunity. Yeah. And how many people are going to be on the trip this year? 87. Great. Yeah, That number's burned into my head. (laughs) I'm sure that's right. You're going to be counting a lot of heads. Uh, I am. And having 87 people getting into the White House is not an easy task. So that should be a a big... um, event for a lot of people. And many of those people haven't ever been to Washington, D.C. before at all. Right. Some people haven't even been on an airplane before. Yeah. So this is always really an interesting trip, especially, uh, you know, there's plenty of people who have probably been to Washington 30 times mm-hmm. that are in the trip. But then the people that I'm always mo- most excited about are the people who this is their first time there, um, because you really are introducing them to so much of what happens that affects them every day and uh, that they've always wanted to see often, but have just never had a chance. You know, one of my favorite moments from last year's trip, uh, we take the Collegiate Farm Bureau attendees and the ambassadors, and and those are typically the ones that you think of the, of not having been to D.C. before. And, and But sometimes they have, and um, it's really interesting to see their reactions. One of our ambassadors had never flown, had mm-hmm. never been to D.C., and uh, to see the joy on his face during the entire trip was really rewarding. But one moment in particular... We do a tour of the Capitol, and we typically get to go on the House floor. And I personally had also never been on the House floor, but I was really trying to contain my excitement. (laughs) I'm trying to play it cool. So I'm sitting in the seats and, you know, just thinking about all the important events that go on in there. And I turn around because I hear someone saying, Spencer, Spencer, like trying to get my attention. And I turned around, and our female ambassador looked at me, and she was like, is this where they have the State of the Union? And I just <laughs> smiled and nodded. And you should have seen her face. She was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm sitting here. And I was like, girl, that's how I feel, too. Uh-huh. Like, But it was it was really cool and, and yeah. probably something I'll never forget. And that's funny that that's what you mentioned because that's also the thing I took away was our male ambassador, Charlie um, Ebsmeyer. He, uh, he was sitting next to me when we were on the House floor, and I just kind of offhandedly said, um, you know, I had to work in Washington, D.C. for four years before 
I got to sit on the house, mm-hmm. got to step foot on the house floor for the first time. And um, I didn't really even remember saying that. But then at annual meeting, like what, 12 months or 10 right. months later, he mentioned that uh, on stage as, a, as his biggest takeaway from the trip was, wow, we got to go down on the floor the first time I'd ever been in D.C. at mm-hmm. all. Um, and some people don't get together even when they work there every day for four years. Right. So I'm like, yeah, actually, I guess that is true. I did say that, didn't I? Yeah. Um, but it's a pretty special trip, and we do get some interesting uh, access behind the scenes mm-hmm. a lot of times just because of the rela- relationships that uh, we have with our members of Congress and the USDA and uh, American Farm Bureau and many other places. So yeah, we're really excited about the trip. Um, I will tell you that my biggest fear on the D.C. trip is losing someone in Washington. So, <laughs> Which has been done, right? Uh, it did not happen last year. Not last so year, right. um, my track record is good so far, <laughs> and my goal is to keep it good. I'll have a full report when we get back. Exactly. I think I've heard some stories, maybe they're apocryphal, but of somebody <laughs> who got left behind because they just weren't uh, – punctual enough and <laughs> you know you don't come you don't get if you're we don't, traveling we, we don't with, wait for you if you're traveling with me on time yeah. that's the number one rule be on time be there five minutes early five, five minutes, minutes early is on time yep wonderful well good luck with everything with the logistics of the trip look forward to catching up when that is over all right sounds great we'll see you next week all right thanks Thank you for joining us this week. Next week, we hope to have some special editions for you coming from our Washington, D.C. trip. So keep an eye out for those. If everything goes according to schedule, we ought to have some of those coming to you next week. We will talk to you then. (music) 